Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. Um, if you're just joining us, my name's Scott, and I am the pastor at Christ Church. Um, we typically meet on Edgewood High, um, but we are meeting in this living room right now and in living rooms all around, so it's a joy to be with you. Um, and just uh, before we head on, we're actually the, the beautiful and intense and powerful passage that Dan read out of Second Peter is amazing, but we're actually going to be on a different passage in First Peter this morning, which is in your bulletin. Um, so if you have a Bible, flip to First Peter with me or in your, in your bulletin, but also I'd love for you to get your Bible before we dive into this together. Um, This morning, I want to think about the idea of becoming, which is a very dominant uh, trend, ideological idea these days in our culture. It's this idea of first discovering yourself and then growing into yourself. Um, So you find your voice and then you grow in learning how to use your voice. And this has to do with your vocation. Um, So what we feel called to do, um, what what am I called to do in life? Um, It also has to do with our identity, learning how to define and articulate to ourselves, ourselves, learning how to explain who we are. Um, Michelle Obama's extremely popular book and now show, Becoming, I think has made this idea popular in some ways, but it certainly was in our culture before her. Um, And here's how she describes it. For me, becoming isn't about arriving somewhere or achieving a certain aim. I see it instead as forward motion a means of evolving, a way to reach continuously toward a better self. The journey doesn't end. Um, This is such a a pivotal and wonderful idea. It's essential for us to have a notion of not just our identity, but of that forward motion that she's talking about. For instance, children need a calling. Uh, Children need to be given an imagination that they're becoming something for who they can become. Um, that there's purpose and there's beauty in their life that they're like entering into. Um, And children need that, but so do 50-year-olds. So do 70-year-olds. So do 25-year-olds. So do all year-olds. We all need this notion of becoming. And the Bible absolutely agrees with that. Uh, The Bible gives us such a vision of forward motion and an imagination for what you were created to become. Uh, But I actually think it wants to add to our cultural notion of it, because I think sometimes our cultural notion of becoming can be incomplete. And with all the emphasis that we put on it, that incompleteness sometimes can be dangerous. So your your vocation just can't handle the full weight of this desire you have within you to become. Um, I feel like millennials, being a millennial, uh, have just been crushed by that burden of like, I've got to find the right thing to do um, as a part of my becoming. Your self-identity can't handle the full weight of this. Uh, the burden to like define yourself is overwhelming uh, when that all of that is just laid on you personally. And this is where, uh, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or you're watching this and you're really new to Christianity and you're just kind of looking into this, This is where Jesus steps in. See, the gospel is a calling. Even in our gospel reading, do you hear, I'm the way, you walk on this way. The gospel is a calling, and only the calling of Jesus can truly fill out what we were created to become. So we want to hear this, um, this this bit in 1 Peter, 
chapter two, um, we need to hear this lest we think that we are not becoming and we just despair. Uh, if we don't have hope in our life for ourselves that we are growing, um, that can result in despair. We also want to hear this lest we allow the culture to give us a different trajectory for becoming that is not what you were created to actually become. That would take us away from that calling from Jesus. So in that spirit, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to grab my Bible. I do encourage you to get your Bible. I really, really do want you to grab your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, and we are going to start in verse 1. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. I wish I could ask you, are you, are you there yet? It's towards the back. Um, there's a table of contents in the front of your Bible. I say this every week. If you don't have a Bible, please reach out to me. I'll buy you one. I'll ship you one. I'll drop one off at your house. First Peter chapter two, verse one. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it, you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So right here at the beginning in verse two, or in chapter two, after all the amazing stuff that we've studied in chapter one of first Peter, Peter gives us this growth narrative. Did you catch that? He presents us with this picture of becoming, we're like newborn infants who are growing up into salvation. Now we could just stop there and that could be the whole sermon because this is astonishing. He, he's saying salvation isn't just something that happens once, even though it does happen once when Jesus died and rose again. It's something you grow up into. It's not just like a legal contract or something. It's something that you are literally like becoming and growing and entering into more deeper and more deeply. What? But I want to keep on going because Peter's going to identify what we are becoming, which I hope you're asking. Well, what in the world is the Bible say we're supposed to become? And two, how we become. And that is the two big questions that I want to ask out of this text this morning. What are we becoming and how do we become? Let's pick up in verse four. As you come to him, it's talking about Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up. There's that growth language again. It's you're, you're entering, you're growing up, you're becoming built up into what though? As a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The answer to our question, the first question of what are we becoming is right there. Our ultimate calling is to grow up into a temple, a spiritual house and a priesthood. You are called to become and to grow up into a temple and a priesthood. Now, depending on where you are in your faith and depending on who you are, just in your personality, you either hear that and you're like fist pumping on your couch, like, yes, you know, temple and priesthood. Or you're like, wah, wah, like, <laughs> that's like the weirdest, most boring, like calling ever. It's creepy. I'd rather be an astronaut or a firefighter or Michelle Obama. Um, but this is your supreme calling. This is why you were created. This is what God intended you. And there's nothing greater than this. It's better than being an astronaut or an actress or a poet or a homemaker or a millionaire or whatever. And that's a big claim, so we need to look into this. Um, so let's begin with the temple. What does it mean when he talks about becoming a spiritual house? The basic idea here is that you and I were created 
to be God bearers. God created you to be a house in which God would come and dwell and live in your physical body, in your being. This means the end goal for our personal becoming is God himself. It's not our own vocation. It's not our own glory or success. The end goal for our lives is to be full, to walk in the midst of and to bear the glory of God, which undoubtedly will result in our greatest joy and fulfillment and all those things. And I understand that that still probably sounds weird. So this might make more sense if we think about the people of Israel. God rescued the people of Israel from Egypt when they were in slavery. He was their savior. He chose them to be his people. He did this amazing thing where he brought them out. And why did God liberate his people from slavery? Well, for a lot of reasons, but the actual answer and practical reason in the book of Exodus is he liberated his people so they could build this funny, weird little tent. Literally, called the tabernacle. That was the purpose. He brought them out. And if you read the book of Exodus, like the first, you know, 15 chapters have all the Prince of Egypt stuff. And then like the back half of it are literally like blueprints for constructing this tent. That was the whole point. And why did God have them build this little tent? Not because he thought they really needed one and they would like it, even though maybe they would. He had them build this tabernacle so that God could come in and dwell in it. And why did God want to dwell in this tabernacle, in this tent? Not because he needed a house. God is really clear about that in the Bible. Listen, the heavens and the earth is mine. I don't need a house because I'm like homeless. God wanted to come and dwell in it because he wanted to be with his people. He actually wanted to be close to them so that he could be in their presence and they in his. And they could know him and they could literally live life saying, I dwell in the midst of the living God. He's right there. It was all about a loving relationship. God wanted to come into their midst and fill them with his glory. The whole point of Israel's salvation, the end goal was unity and intimacy with God. It's the same for the temple. It's the same of everything. And it's true of your salvation. This is wild. The New Testament says your body is a temple. Yes, Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins break the bonds of death. That's what we celebrate in Holy Week. It's, it's the climax of our year in some ways. He rose again so we could have new, newness of life, but that wasn't the end. Easter, in a way, climaxes in Pentecost. The exact same thing. When, what happens, if you're familiar with the Bible story, Jesus sends his spirit to come and dwell in us, to fill his tabernacles and temples with the glory of God, which is me, which is you. So the end goal of the gospel, the greatest prize in your life, the greatest calling in your life is the indwelling of the living God. It's him. Even, even as a Christian, sometimes it's hard to think, like we feel called to do great things and use our gifts, but even our gifts and everything we feel called to do is ultimately about knowing and being in communion with God. That's the point. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, 
If you're going to boast, this is what you should boast in. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The climax of your personal becoming, what you're called to be, is to be in communion with God himself. You're called to be a God house. Paul says in Ephesians 3, he's praying for this little church, be like Christ church. He prays that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. To be a partaker of the divine nature, a walking, breathing, living vessel which God fills. Wow. What is greater than that in your life? If anything is in front of that and your personal idea of becoming, you're shortchanging yourself. But if that wasn't crazy enough, you're also called to be a priest. Um, Where there's a temple, there's always a priest. And Peter gladly mixes his metaphors here. Priestly language is confusing to a lot of us. It's divisive. Um, I'm not going to get into that right now. I just want to see what Peter is saying. A priest is someone, simply put, who ministers or serves. Ministry just means service in the presence of God. That's what a priest does. A priest is somebody who dwells where God is and ministers in his presence. So that means you're not just called to be like a stationary spiritual house. You're called to do something with and through the indwelling presence of God. And I think what we see in 1 Peter is that that priestly ministry has two directions. One is towards God and one is towards other people in the world. They're both right here in our text. The the first is in verse 5. So look at verse 5 with me again. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Why? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Um, Again, there's so much here. These sacrifices aren't sacrifices for sins that Peter is talking about. So you might be familiar with the slaying of animals and the day of atonement and all that in the Old Testament. And that is what Jesus does on the cross. So this is not talking about like you're trying to, you know, be forgiven by like offering all this stuff in your life. That is what we believe in in when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, is he once for all gave himself as the atoning sacrifice. It's also not talking about manipulation. So this is not like you do stuff for God because you have to, or you wanted to get him to do stuff for you. No, Peter, when he talks about offering spiritual sacrifices, he's talking about thankful, adoring, relationship-based, joy-motivated worship. It's a response. Um, This is more like uh, giving flowers to your mom on Mother's Day. If you do that, nobody in your house is going to be like, how dare you give flowers to your mom? Like, that's legalism. You can't do that. No, you're doing it because you love her. Because your mom's literally, like, given her body and everything in her life to bear you and birth you and, like, raise you up and love you. And so you give her flowers. And if you haven't, you should go get your mom flowers this morning. Um, or pick some. There's so many flowers all around. Just to be like my boys and just grab tulips whenever you see them. <laughs> but Jesus literally offered himself as a sacrifice. That's what the Bible says. He gave his entire life for you so that you could live and be forgiven. He gave everything. And we, being the recipient of his love and his offering, we offer ourselves back in joy. Romans 12 verse 1 says that we give our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's like your whole life you offer to God. 
as a joy offering, which he receives. Hebrews 13 talks about offering up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. That's Hebrews 13, 15. Um, We say this every week in our liturgy, if you've ever heard us say, we offer the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. So whenever you're singing, um, whenever you're praising God and adoring him, you are literally living into your priestly calling. I listened to a guy this week challenge and rebuke a bunch of men in like a very high-powered, well-to-do part of the country about their calling to be priests in God's kingdom and to sing. And he was like, you can't not sing even if your voice is bad in church. That's a part of your priestly calling. Live into it. Which is why we worship. We offer those sacrifices up to God. Hebrews 13 also says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So even our good works, when you're giving your money away or your time for those right now in coronavirus, for those who are suffering, um, if you're a medical worker and you are laboring um, and have put yourself in harm's way to love people who are suffering, you are offering sacrifices to God. So you see how everything in our life is a part of our priestly calling to attend to God's presence. We acknowledge his presence in us through worshiping him and offering everything we have. This is the first part of our priestly calling. We serve God in his presence. The second priestly task is in verse nine. Look at that with me really quick. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. There he is. He brings that up again, which is a quote from our Exodus reading. I don't know if you caught that. A holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Your second calling as a priest is to let everyone else know in the world that God's presence is available. In other words, you're not supposed to just rejoice in God's presence yourself. You're supposed to share it. You're supposed to make it available to others. Other people too. Letting other people know that you too were created to be a God house and a priest in God's royal priesthood in his kingdom. Remember what Paul says in Romans 10. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but he says, how then will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And don't think that's just talking about somebody like me who does this for like a vocational job. He's talking about you. He's talking about all the priests in God's kingdom. You're called to proclaim. You're, you're called to not only serve God as somebody who bears his presence, but you're called to share it and talk about it and bear witness to it to other people. So the next time you're on a plane post-COVID or a bus post-COVID and somebody sits down next to you and they're like, hey, what is it, you, you know, what do you do? You can say with utter confidence, well, I'm a lawyer or a teacher or a homemaker or whatever, but my chief calling in life is to be a priest in a temple of the living God. And then you say, what do you do? <laughs> and see how it goes. Or actually you could say, and actually one of my jobs is proclaiming his excellencies because he brought me out of darkness and into light. Can I tell you about it? Um, they still, they'll probably be freaked out, but that's what you're called to be. There's so much here that we can't get into, but I hope you can see that is what Peter is saying. Is there anything greater that you can become than that? Is there any vocation or relationship that would top being literally a vessel, having your physical body bear the divine and being someone that can share that and make that accessible to others. 
Hallelujah. There's this idea today that, um, and even Michelle Obama says in her book, that if you don't get out there and define yourself, you'll be quickly and inaccurately defined by others. And I love that. And again, I would want to just tweak, if you don't let Jesus himself reveal to you who you are and who you were called to be, you will quickly be persuaded or inaccurately defined by other people or even yourself. You are called to be a temple and a priest. But how? Um, how? How do we grow up into this? If this is our calling, how do we get there? Um, lucky for us, it's super clear in this passage. Three quick points about how. First, we become only in Jesus. If you remember nothing else from this passage or this sermon, this is the, this is the money in this. We become only only in Jesus. It is right here in verse four. Look at it again with me. Beginning of verse four, as you come to him. And then it says everything else. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you're being built up like living stones. All this is happening. All of this, all of this becoming, this entire beautiful calling that we have only begins when you come to Jesus. And in fact, the Greek word there, that verb, doesn't mean you just come once. It means you're continually coming to him. So it's as you're continually coming to the person of Jesus, you're becoming. You come to become. And Peter makes this point by quoting all these scriptures about the cornerstone. Um, and I have heard this my whole life. You probably have too. We've sang songs about Jesus being the cornerstone, but the analogy hit me in a clearer way than it ever has as I've studied this this week. So smart people who know about ancient stuff will tell you that when ancient people were building a building, they were choosing stones in order to build it up. And the most important decision and thing they did was choosing the cornerstone, which actually means the head of the corner. And that is the first stone that they were gonna lay. And it was chosen and precious because it had to have perfect lines and angles, it had to be the right size, because wherever this stone was laid and whatever its shape was, it would dictate the rest of the building because the other stone would go on the top and like that, and it would, if it was odd, it would be odd, but if it was the right stone, that's why they would choose it. This is gonna be the cornerstone, and they would lay it, and everything would come off of that, the integrity of the building, the direction of the building, the shape of the building. Do you see how amazing the analogy is? Something is in your life dictating that. It's saying Jesus, the cornerstone, is who you come to. He's the head of the corner, and then you're being built up. That's another stone on top of that. You cannot fully become who you were called to be unless you come to Jesus first. And not only that, you cannot fully become unless Jesus is the cornerstone. I meet a lot of people who like Jesus, but Jesus is kind of like a part of their life. Like they have a lot of wisdom and counselors and Jesus is like one of those. It would be like another stone in the edifice or something, but he's not the cornerstone. But if Jesus isn't the cornerstone, if he's not the one who's dictating the entire shape and direction of your house that you were called to be, the whole building will lack integrity. And I know that sounds intense, uh, but that is exactly what Peter goes on to say. Look at verse six. And this is the scriptures he's quoting. 
For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, the one that God chose. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Hallelujah. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and it becomes a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Everybody has a cornerstone. Something in your life is dictating the trajectory of your life and your goals, your own self-understanding, your own self-definition. Could be your work, could be our intellectual world in the academy, could be famous people, stuff that you're watching, could be your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your spouse, could be the Enneagram, could be your own pain or your own trauma. God has chosen the head of the corner. That's why Jesus came, to be the cornerstone so that you could be grown up and built up. Even if you feel like your life is in shambles, the image here is a rebuilding. We come to Jesus, we grow into ourself. That's the first answer to the how question. Practically speaking, this means if you want to draw closer to yourself, if you wanna know yourself, then you need to know Jesus first. I know that sounds weird, um, but that is what the scriptures teach. Jesus says, come follow me, get to know me, and there will be no other thing that you can do in your life that can allow you to more fully grow into your own personhood than knowing Jesus. We come to Jesus first to become. Second, we become in community. We become in community. This is where it gets even more countercultural, I think. Every you, Y-O-U, that you see in this passage is plural. Every single one. Look at verse 9 with me again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you... And the proper way to translate that Greek word you is y'all, uh, which is what they should have translated as. But those, those should be y'alls, not you. I went to seminary to learn that it should be y'all. Um, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called y'all, plural, out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Um, there is no eyes in there. This becoming is a community thing. Um, you're dignified. You're so elevated as an individual divinely honored in this passage beyond your wildest imagination, but it is not all about you. It's about you and everybody else in the church. So if we're going to take the scripture seriously, um, and this is where it's just bizarre the way that the biblical logic works, the right question we should be asking is never, what am I becoming, but what are we becoming? And that is, that is countercultural. That's from Mars in 2020. Our culture heavily feeds us the false teaching that it's up to us to identify ourselves and that if anyone has any stake in our self-definition or any like uh, weight in that or place in that, that it's actually really harmful. And I totally get where that's coming up from because so many of us have been put in boxes before that we should have never been put in. And I'm not saying that that's what this is saying, but there's a part of that that it's all up to you, that is utterly wrong. And I think itself is a really harmful false teaching. You're called to be a stone which fits into a larger house. You're called to be a priest in a priesthood. You're not the high priest. I'm not the high priest. Jesus is the high priest. We're a royal priesthood, but we're one together. 
Even when the scriptures explicitly say, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, it's plural, y'all. So think about y'all. We need a, we need a y'all translation of the Bible. Uh, we become only in community. Uh, this is part of why our, so that's the second one. We become only in Jesus and we become in community. And that's why our vision statement is a community coming home to Jesus and his church. You can't do this on podcasts, becoming in community like this. You can't be built up into the house if you're never in the house. <laughs> and the house is God's people, right? We're the living stones. So even right now, church is still meeting because it's all of us. So we become only in Jesus and we become only in community. And third, we become by grace. We become by grace. Let's go back to verse nine, last point. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now y'all have received mercy. Uh, the gospel is thick. It's just saturating these verses. To begin, did you know that the, this royal priesthood, who we are called to be, we were called out of darkness. We were called out of darkness. We didn't work our way out of darkness. We didn't emerge as the greatest people. And God was like, you are the people who have proven yourselves to be the royal priesthood on earth. No, Jesus, through his incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection, descends into our darkness as light, and he grips us and he pulls us back up. He calls us out. That's good news. But then verse 10 is basically a direct quote from the prophet Hosea. The, once you were not a people, now you are a people. That whole thing is basically lifted straight out of the book of Hosea. And the book of Hosea is one of the more gut-wrenching prophecies in the scriptures. It's a story about a prophet whose wife is repeatedly unfaithful to him, which is a reflection of the people's unfaithfulness to God. And the children who are born out of this tragic, unfaithful marriage are literally named, no mercy is the name of the boy, and not my people is the name of the girl. That's what God says. This is what I want you to name your kids. Imagine being with your wife and flipping through the baby book of names and like, honey, what about no mercy for our son and not my people. The tragedy and the sadness of that is immense. It's, it's as if our rejection of God and I would say our rejection of being temples and priests like we were created to be in his world has cut us off from the favor and the family of God. But then the prophetic word in the book of Hosea, which shines out of Hosea like a diamond in the mud and the muck, is that God's love persists towards his unfaithful bride. And in Hosea, God says early on in the book that he whose name is no mercy will be called or shall receive mercy. The one whose name is no mercy shall receive mercy and her whose name is not my people will be called my people. So do you see what Peter is doing here? He's taking that story and he's putting it on you. Once you did not receive mercy, but now you've received mercy. Once you are not my people, 
but because of my calling, because of the setting of my affection and my love on you, you're my people. The privilege and the calling to become what you were created to be is by grace. It's not just for those who've been holy and priestly their whole life. You know, it's not just for the kids who didn't drink in high school. It's not just for those who are super churchy and super sinless. It's for us who've messed up, who've been unfaithful. It's for us who have built our lives on other cornerstones. If you're hearing this sermon, you're like, man, Jesus is not the cornerstone of my life. In other words, it's for all of us. Amen? It's for all of us. So if you're a Christian and you feel like you have abdicated the roles that you were called to be, that you have been on a different trajectory for becoming, you can still return in repentance and belief. You can still become in Jesus. Hallelujah. If you're not a Christian, it's not too late. If you're hearing this for the first time, that you didn't know that God actually created you to know him. And that even though your sin has separated you from him or your wanderings or whatever it was, God actually has created you to know him and to serve him just as he served you. Jesus is calling you to come to him and in the process to become who you were created to be. If you're hearing this right now and you're thinking, man, that is something that I want to do. That is something that I I need to learn more about. Um, I want to encourage you to reach out to me or to one of our prayer ministers to just to take a, an act of coming closer to Jesus. We come closer to Jesus in his church with his people. That's what our whole life as a church is. We are coming home to Jesus and his church and in the process are being built up into this spiritual house, which is why our logo is a little house. This is really significant for our community. So I would love to talk to you. Reach out to me and let me just pray for us really quick. Um, and you can pray yourself to the Lord as I'm praying. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you for this beautiful word. Lord, where there has been other voices in our life that have been calling us to become something that is contrary to the beauty of the becoming and the calling that you've called us to, Lord, we repent of that. We pray that you would shine the, the lights in our hearts to acknowledge that and know that. And Heavenly Father, I pray for those who, who feel like they have not had you as the cornerstone of their life. This would be an opportunity in a season where you become the head of the corner, where the stone that the builders rejected becomes the thing that we rush to, to build our lives upon. And Lord, for those who do not know you right now, even if they're listening, um, Lord, I pray that you would hear their cry to you. Um, Lord, that they would be able to reach out and receive your forgiveness in faith and rush to Jesus to be the cornerstone of their life. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.